plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Welcome to Locked on Jaguars. I'm Ryan O'Halloran of the Florida Times Union. It's Friday, September 23rd. Week three of the NFL season is two days away. Jaguars 0-2 need a win. They host Baltimore 2-0, 1 o'clock Sunday at Everbank Field. We've got three segments coming up for you on this Friday. First, injuries. A lot of them. A lot of big ones for the Jaguars. We'll go through all that, through all the scenarios of who's going to play where and who may or may not play. Second segment, Friday four downs. I look at four storylines I've reported throughout the week in the locker room. And then the third segment is going to be uh, matchups, who has the edge, and predictions for Sunday. So three segments coming up. Lockdown Jaguars for Friday, September 23rd. Welcome back. And Thursday at Jaguars, injury-related day. A lot of storylines, most of them regarding injuries. Usually Thursday for me is a day I report for my Sunday stories. I had to scramble a little bit to get stuff into Friday's paper because of all the uh, breaking injury news. Let's start from the top. The Jaguars waited throughout the spring and summer to have their five best offensive linemen healthy and available before the unit debuted in the third preseason game. Plan A lasted less than seven quarters of the regular season. Already expected to be about left tackle Kelvin Beecham because of the concussion Sunday against Baltimore, the Jaguars could now be without Brandon Linder, the center, who sustained a sprained knee in Wednesday's practice. He did not practice on Thursday. If the Jaguars decide to move left guard Luke Jokel out to left tackle, they will have new starters at three positions Sunday. Left tackle with Jokel, left guard with Chris Reed, and center with Tyler Shatley. Also new to the injury report Thursday, reserve tight end Ben Koyak, torn meniscus in his knee, starting cornerback Devon House added to the list with a hamstring. Defensive end Jared Odrick, triceps, he's questionable to play. And quarterback Princeton Mukamara with a hamstring, he's expected to miss a second straight game. The bottom line, not exactly the ideal scenario for a Jaguar team desperate for a win at 0-2. Coach Gus Bradley, let's talk about Linder first. Coach Gus Bradley said he was informed Thursday morning of Linder's injury. Bradley then watched video of the practice to see when it occurred. He would only offer that Linder was injured during a pass protection drill. I asked Bradley for any more specifics. He wasn't biting. Bradley told me and the rest of the reporters when I asked about Linder, Quote, it truly is a day-to-day thing, end quote. I know his mindset, just my conversation with him. He wants to see how these next two days go. We'll see. Shatley has never started an NFL regular season game. His only snaps in a regular season game were at guard in the second half of the Jaguars' 2014 loss to Dallas and London. But Shatley did start for Linder at center in the August 11th preseason opener at the Jets. Talked to Shatley after practice. And let's face it, folks, he had a twinkle in his eye as if to say, okay, I'm going to be the guy on Sunday. They haven't told me that, but all signs point to that. I asked Shatley how excited he'd be for the start. Quote, It'd be very, it would be very exciting. That's the reason I work, that if I do get a shot, I'm prepared. Obviously, you hate to see somebody go down, and hopefully Brandon will get back soon, but if the opportunity arises, I'll be ready. End quote. Shatley has spent, since the start of last year, he's always attended the quarterback center meetings to get a grasp of the offense. He 
He said, that's helped him, quote, I feel very ready. I got a lot of good reps Thursday and some Wednesday too, end quote. So that's Shatley. If he starts at center, then Chris Reed would probably start at left guard. Reed, a former undrafted free agent, would not only be making his first NFL start, he'd be playing his worst first regular season snaps. He also started at left guard against the Jets in the preseason. Reed said, quote, this is what I'm here for. Any opportunity I get is a good opportunity, end quote. We're all speculating here because Bradley has yet to announce that Joko will move the left tackle if Beecham is out. That move makes the most sense to me. After that, you know, it's blindside for Blake Bortles. I think you put Jokel out there, and if he needs help, give him help. Uh, Jokel said, whatever they need me to do. My mindset has been the whole time that if they need me to be a left guard, then I'll be a left guard. If they need me to be a left tackle, then I'll be a left tackle. I just need to be the best that I can be at any position they ask me to play, end quote. As for Beecham, he was spotted in the locker room on Thursday. Uh, he's still in the NFL's concussion protocol, which means he uh, cannot talk to the media, and he also cannot practice. Uh, he was carted off the field Sunday, and San Diego spent the night in the hospital. With Beecham out, they kept Joko at left guard, and which I expected them to do because that's where he's practiced the entire week. But I think with a week of practice, they're going to move Joko outside. I'd be shocked if they didn't do that. Meanwhile, the other new injuries, Koyak, from Notre Dame, draft pick last year, he made the team as a third tight end after spending last year on the practice squad, likely headed to surgery. The severity injury will determine his status for the rest of the year. With the meniscus, if it's a repair, probably out for the year. If it's a trim, it could be four to six weeks. This means Neil Sterling moves up a spot on the depth chart. And it leaves the Jaguars with uh, three tight ends on their active roster. Remember, they run a lot of two tight end sets with the uh, uh, Julius Thomas and Mercedes Lewis. Audric missed practice again Thursday. Bradley did not sound optimistic about having his strong side defensive end. Remember, Audric's played 82 straight games. Quote, I think it would be tough for him this week, quote, end quote, Bradley said. Quote, I don't know if I would rule him out just because of who he is, end quote. House, this is one, this one's a biggie. He had a hamstring injury at camp that cost him only two practices, but he was added, added to the injury report Wednesday, or excuse me, Thursday further hurting the Jaguars' depth. If House can't play and Mukamara is unavailable, it would leave Dwayne Gratz and Josh Johnson as the number two and three quarterbacks. That would be also the two and three quarterbacks overall. They don't have anybody else. They could probably move Peyton Thompson to backup free safety. They could probably play some nickel in a pinch. I asked Mukamara how much better he feels compared to last week. He said 100% better. Quote, I pushed it Thursday to about 70 75%. I don't know if the plan Friday is to do more, but I felt Thursday is very productive, end quote. So let's just review this injury situation for this Jaguar football team right now. In a must-win game, this is the biggest win of this regime. They could be without their center, their left tackle, their left guard, who would have to move the left tackle. Their uh, number one running back will be making his season debut, could have limited work. They could be without their strong side defensive end, their number two corner, number three corner. And their strong safety is banged up, Jonathan Cyprian. So, you know, maybe maybe the guys who are filling in rally and uh, give this team a win. But um, the Jaguars are, are uh, lacking a lot of bodies so far. Maybe things make a turn for the good on uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, and then uh, some of these guys are able to play on Sunday afternoon. But uh, I think um, you know, Audric, the fact that Bradley was so uh, clear on saying it's going to be tough, he maybe held out. So. Uh, House, 
maybe it was just the hamstring cramp that he had to sit out today, but uh, that should be a concern as well. So that was the lengthy injury-related update from uh, Thursday's practice. I'll be back in a second with Friday's four downs. Welcome back to Locked On Jaguars. I'm Ryan O'Halloran. Time for Friday's four downs. Four storylines I reported on in the locker room this week that I found interesting. Confident in Wilson for first down. Strong safety Jonathan Cyprian has a knee and triceps injuries that forced him out of practice Wednesday, but he did work Thursday. If he's unavailable to start or finish Sunday's game against Baltimore, the Jaguars would turn to rookie Gerard Wilson. Wilson was signed as an undrafted free agent from Michigan and worked during OTAs and the early part of training camp at free safety. But he showed enough in August that the Jaguars had him learn strong safety, and he beat out veteran Josh Evans for a roster spot. Wilson played six snaps against San Diego, including some in the first half in a goal line package. He's also played special teams. I asked Gus Bradley about him earlier this week, and Bradley said, quote, I really like him. He's really instinctive. He knows both safety spots very well. If he has to play, we're all pretty confident in him. And quote, my analysis is let's not get carried away about Wilson replacing Cyprian. If Wilson's on the field at strong safety, it's either because it's a specialized goal line package where maybe they're both out there or because Cyprian is banged up. Second down, UCF reunion. It's going to be a reunion for Central Florida. Turn NFL first-round draft pick Sunday when quarterback Blake Bortles starts for the Jaguars and receiver Rashad Perriman plays for Baltimore. Bortles' two years as UCF starter, 2012 and 2013, were Perriman's first two years on campus. Perriman had 65 catches for 1,199 yards and seven touchdowns with Bortles as his quarterback. In 2014, Bortles was drafted third overall, and Perriman, as a junior for UCF, had 1,044 yards receiving and parlayed that into being selected number 26 overall by the Ravens. Perriman missed all last year with a knee injury, then had another knee injury in the offseason program, but he is recovered enough to play so far. He has three catches and 21 snaps for the Ravens. Bortles and Perriman said, quote, I'm excited for him. Obviously an unbelievable talent and an unbelievable player. He comes from great bloodlines, and he has the ability to be a star in this league. Obviously, Perriman's father, Brent, uh, played a decade in this league. I, this shows the UCF pipeline. Uh, they were, you know, Maybe Scott Frost can get that program turned around. But when Bortles is there, they obviously went to the Fiesta Bowl and beat uh, Baylor. Third down. About this down, dot, dot, dot. Opponents are 14 to 27 on third down against the Jaguars this year. Let's divide it into three sections. Three or fewer yards, four to seven yards, and eight or more yards. Three or fewer yards, opponents are six to seven. It means they're running it. Uh, four of 11 when they need four to seven yards to go. And on long distance, eight or more, they're four of nine. Uh, Todd Wash said, quote, we need to do a better job of getting off the grass on third down, end quote. Succinct and accurate, but tough test on Sunday. Baltimore's offense is tied for fourth on third down, 51.6%. They're 16 of 31. The Jaguars need to clean things up on third and long, where mistakes have ruined solid early down work. Check out these conversions. Week one against Green Bay, the Packers had a third and 10, 28-yard touchdown. A third and 10, 32-yard pass, and a third and 9, 22-yard pass. Not only do those extend drives, they sap momentum and they sap the spirit. More snaps on the field on a hot day could have played a part. San Diego last week, they hit a third and 12 for the 44-yard touchdown pass, which was just an inexcusable play. The pass was caught in front of the sticks. A couple missed tackles, turned into a touchdown. 
The Jaguars are pointing to be more on point, pun intended, with their assignments as a reason for the struggles. We took a step back against San Diego, said Derek Mark said, because we weren't on the details and you saw what happened. They beat the bleep out of us. Fourth down. Alawalu keeps working. The wait to play continued for defensive end Tyler Alawalu last week, Tyson Alawalu last week. After playing 96 straight games to start his career, all at the Jaguars, Alawalu has been a healthy scratch for this year's opening two games. This after averaging 39.5 snaps per game during the first three years of Gus Bradley's tenure. He played 689. 463, 744 snaps in those three years for a total of 1,896. I asked Alo how he stays ready, even though he's not playing on Sundays. And Alo told me, quote, just continuing to focus on the things I can control. Coming to work with that mentality and just trying to get better, whether it's getting in good condition or being ready to go when my number is called, end quote. Alo's opportunity could come on Sunday. Jared Odrick has the triceps injury. He did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. And if, even if he's able to start, the Jaguars could make Alo active as an insurance. Gus Bradley said Thursday that if Odrick can't go, Alo may not just be active. He could probably start at that strong side defensive end spot. Alo admitted to me that staying sharp while being a healthy scratch has been a unique challenge in his career. Quote, but I'm not look, trying to look at the negative side of this. It's easy to get mad or frustrated, but I have trust in the plan, and that's what, that's what is bringing me comfort, end quote. I think they need Alawalo on the field. Um, he adds a presence in terms of he can stop the run, he can play inside, you know, to take some snaps off those guys' plate. So the, the Jaguars, I thought they were, I mean, they were in trouble all over the place in San Diego, but when Audrick went down, they had to move Avery Jones, who's a nose tackle, out to the uh, 4B, as they call it, the strong side end spot. So look for Alawalo to be active for the first time. He's four games away from 100 for his career which is uh, quite the accomplishment for a, for a defensive lineman and all the pounding they take. That's Friday's four downs. Next up on Lockdown Jaguars, Jaguars I'll be look at the uh, matchups and who has the edge when the Jaguars host the Ravens on Sunday. Welcome back to Lockdown Jaguars. I'm Ryan O'Halloran. For the last segment, we uh, take a look at the matchups against Baltimore on Sunday. I entrusted colleague Philip Heilman to help write this uh, game capsule, so I'll give him credit for some of these as well. Three things to watch for the Jaguars. Number one, where is Abram? Expectations around Allen Robinson were soaring after his breakout second year. 80 catches, 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. So far through two games, though, his production and usage have been head-scratching. Robinson has been targeted just five times total in the first half against Green Bay and San Diego. The Jaguars trailed at halftime each of those games. Credit Blake Bortles for recognizing Robinson Garner's extra attention and looking to get other receivers involved, but two passes intended for Marquise Lee have been intercepted in his inning weeks to put the Jaguars in early deficits. Robinson's biggest strength is his athleticism. The way he made the Pro Bowl is by winning jump balls, overpowering coverage, and making plays downfield. The Jaguars need to take advantage of that and let him go up and make a play in traffic like he did against the Jets in the preseason. His ability to stretch this defense will help the run game flow smoother because it puts a safety back and the offense operate better as a whole. A-Rob is fighting through some things right now because it's coverage that he hasn't seen before. It's up to the Jaguars, I think, to be more aggressive and, and yes, force some passes down Robinson. Throw it downfield. Get him involved early. You know, on third and long, don't throw it to Marquise Lee at the sticks over the middle. Throw it downfield. You know, could get an interference call. You could have the catch. It could be incomplete or it could be intercepted 50 yards downfield. That's the same as a punt. I, getting A-Rob going is critical for Sunday. 
Number two thing to watch, Flacco has his man again. Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco is one of the strongest arms in the league. He knows how to use it. For four years, he took advantage of Torrey Smith's breakaway speed to throw deep down the field. Flacco now has a similar type of target. Mike Wallace, strong start to the season after a quiet year last year for the Vikings. Wallace tied for the league lead with three touchdown catches, including a 66-yarder. He's averaging an eye-poppy 19 yards per catch. Jaguars cornerback Devon House was burned by the speed of Travis Benjamin last week. He's fighting a hamstring injury. Steve Smith, he'll be lined up all over the place. Wallace has big playability. The Jaguars need to be, their P, be on their P's and Q's. Look for Tayshawn Gibson to be able to make some plays on the ball, which he hasn't been able to do. He just simply hasn't had that many chances to, to, to do so in the first two games. Third thing to watch, under pressure. Maybe the only good takeaway from the Jaguars' defense last week against San Diego was how disruptive their young defensive ends were. Dante Fowler, two sacks. Unique Ngakwe, sack, forced fumble in the red zone to save, put, save some points. Could have been 28 nothing, then the route really would have been on for the Chargers. Joe Flacco wasn't sacked last week, but he did get hit four times during Buffalo uh, against Buffalo in the season opener. A matchup to watch is Ngakwe Fowler versus Ravens rookie tackle Ronnie Stanley, currently battling a, battling a foot injury. Well, let's take a closer look at the matchups. When the Jaguars run the football, we give the edge to Baltimore. The return of running back Chris Ivory helps for the Jaguars, but the uncertainty of the offensive line will hurt. Through two weeks, T.J. Yeldon has gained just 67 yards on 28 carries, a woeful 2.4 yards per attempt. And even though Gus Bradley called the running game pretty decent, I must have forgot that. I must have missed that. I can't believe he said that. Ivory's bruising style looks to be a better option because he doesn't need a hole sometimes. He can create a hole. But the Jaguars could be without left tackle Kelvin Beecham and center Brandon Linder. That impacts the run game. Last week, Cleveland running back Isaiah Crowell gashed the Ravens for an 85-yard touchdown. A similar type of run would be a big boost for a Jaguar offense that is mostly sputtered in the run game. We give the edge to the Ravens. When the Jaguars pass, we give the edge to the Jaguars. Bear with us on this. We think this Jaguar passing game is going uh, to ignite sooner rather than later. It's been disappointing the first two weeks. The Ravens so far have played two mediocre quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor at Buffalo, Josh McCown at Cleveland. And they've allowed just 169 yards passing a game lowest in the league through two weeks. The Jaguars have more options in the passing game than either Buffalo or, or Cleveland, but that hasn't meant much so far. Bortles had zero touchdowns and three turnovers entering the fourth quarter against San Diego last week. His team was losing 35-0. It's critical that Bortles targets top receiver Allen Robinson early in the game and then looks to Hearns and Thomas from there. Marquise Lee and Rashad Green are complementary pieces and should start to be treated as such. I like the Ravens secondary, Jimmy Smith, and the new free safety, Eric Weddle. We give the edge to the Jaguars. When Baltimore has the ball, when the Ravens run, we give the edge to the Ravens. The Jaguars made San Diego running back Melvin Gordon look like the second coming of LaDainian Tomlinson last week. Gordon found the end zone and broke 100 yards rushing for the first time in his young career. The Jaguars are averaging 4.1 yards allowed per carry, which is 18th in the league. It's surprising that number isn't higher. But I chalked that up to some of the tackle for loss yardage. But those are being offset by those long runs. So Jaguars need to be on their P's and Q's with their details and the gaps. Don't over-pursue. They got to tackle. Remember, Telvin Smith was in the backfield on that first drive last Sunday. Couldn't tackle Gordon, who gained over 20 yards. I give the edge to the Ravens when they run it. I also give the edge to the Ravens when they pass it. 
It was another bad performance for the Jaguar pass defense against San Diego after a decent outing against Green Bay. This would be an interesting test. Joe Flacco, one of the biggest arms in the NFL. Steve Smith knows how to get open. Mike Wallace had two touchdowns last week. Big place receiver Flacco likes to have. No matter what coverage scheme, don't put Paul Puzzles in there, Mike Wallace. That should have been burned out of the playbook and put in the paper shirt. It's outside the uh, Jaguars' offices. Jaguars secondary, maybe Tayshawn Gibson emerges a little bit, makes a couple plays on the football. Prince of Mukamara, unlikely to play. Devon House, mispractice on Thursday. We'll see what he is around game time. Special teams would get the edge of the Ravens. Devin Hester is one of the best return men of all time, if not the best. NFL record with 20 career return touchdowns. Still dangerous at age 33. He had a 48-yard kickoff last week. Probably the Jaguars' most valuable player so far has been putter Brad Norton. So, predictions. Uh, I think the Jaguars are going to play better because, A, they can't play any worse, and, B, they have played well when they've come off those types of losses. The last time would be New England where they got blown out last year. The next week they played well at, at Indianapolis, gave away a game in overtime. I like the Ravens, though. 24-17. Uh, uh, I think the Ravens are going to remember last year big time. I mean, John Harbaugh said, I will never forget last year's game and how it ended with the untimed down for the uh, Jaguars to kick a field goal and win in Baltimore. So that means the Jaguars are 0-3 going to London. Uh, I think there's just too many injuries on the offensive line and then just not enough going on right with this defense right now. So I picked the Ravens 24-17. That's, that's it for this week for Lockdown Jaguars. I'll be back Monday morning with a fresh podcast to review the Raven game. A truncated schedule next week. We're going to figure out what we're going to do. I leave for London on Wednesday afternoon, arrive there Thursday morning. So we'll be on the ground reporting from London on Thursday, Friday when the team arrives, and then Sunday's game. So um, I got to do the tape recorder route, which could mean some uh, shorter podcasts. So hope you enjoyed this. From the Florida Times Union for Lockdown Jaguars, I'm Ryan O'Halloran. Have a good weekend and enjoy the games. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Analyst.